yo, 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 yo. Welcome to episode number 51 of the Basketball Card Podcast. I'm your host, Adam. You can reach me at the real 27 guy on Instagram. You can email me at basketballcardfanatic at gmail.com. Welcome to the episode today. I think it'll be a good one, and uh, I want to get, get right to it. But um, before I get into the main stuff today, I want to say thank you to a few people. I want to say thank you to Brett McGrath from the Stacking Slabs podcast. I was listening to his show today, and he gave me such a kind shout-out um, about, uh, about issue number two, and I'm just so thankful for that. I'm grateful for Dr. Jim Beckett, who I get the the chance to um, to sit down with here next week uh, for a couple of his future uh, episodes. Um, you know, he's just, he's the ultimate ambassador for the hobby. And I'm grateful that he's taken an interest in me and grateful for that relationship. Um, I also want to thank all of you who have shared the magazine uh, and, and different articles from the magazine in this last couple of weeks. It has been an awesome couple of weeks, as I talked about in the last episode. I won't belabor that now, um, but I am just so thankful for the for the um, help that you guys have given in spreading the word, um, and uh, and and I'm I am grateful for that. I sat down with somebody who um, I think most of you know in our hobby today uh, to do an interview for actually issue number four. The um, the content, guys, there's so much good content out there. There's so many things to provide, and it's a struggle to figure out how to fit everything that we want to in the magazine within that 25 to 30 pages each issue. Um, and so we're already you know, planning two, three issues out um, of, of content. Um, I don't, I don't want to overstate that. There's still, there's still room for things here and there. But issue three is totally planned, and and the articles have been written, and and we're compiling and editing and and making the magazine everything that it can be right now. Um, but get excited, guys, because I think issue three will be better than issue uh, issue two, and I think issue four, if issue four is going to be really good too. Uh, the guy who I sat down with today and talked to had some insights that were just phenomenal, and I think. That although there's some real value in having a podcast where you can just look at listen to an interview, I think there's some real value to having written um, interviews too. Um, I know some people were like, "Hey, why don't you just do the Nat interview via podcast?" And I I get that sentiment, um, but I think that, like I say, I think there's something more deliberate and intentional about having to read an article, and so um, I'm grateful that I get to provide that to you in issue four. Um, the one that I that I sat down with uh, the uh, gentleman today, um, I won't won't give you any other teasers until we get closer to that time, because I certainly don't want to bury bury issue number three first. So, um, you know, if you haven't already ordered, I recommend strongly that you do. Uh, again, basketballcardfanatic at gmail.com. Um, Ten dollars for each issue, a hundred dollars for 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 twelve. I think it's well worth it. It's a large time investment by me and Kevin, the designer, Black Griffin Cards. Um, and I think we, we're making a good team right now and providing providing awesome content. So so come along for the ride, guys. Um, today, I think uh, we want to go on a different kind of ride. And that is, uh, I want to take you on a, on a um, first story. And the story is, is simply how I built my collection. 
I've been thinking about this one for a little bit. Um, I've had a number of people reach out and basically ask me questions, sort of um, kind of looking for me to describe how I've done what I've done. My collection certainly outhits my financial means. Um, I make a, I make a good living, but my collection is greater than you would expect. Um, and it's because of the time and the effort and maybe some of the things that I've learned along the way that I've been able to build the collection that I have. So today what I'd like to do is take you through sort of my history in collecting as well as some of the, the general rules and principles I've lived by along the way that have helped me. And I think as I do that, that for some of you, it might be interesting. Um, for some of you, most of us sort of have our own way. And we don't always want to listen to the advice of others. And if you don't want to listen to my advice, I, you know, some, I'm sure mo I'm sure a lot of you are, are more are more intelligent than I am and, and know, you know, and have your own sort of methods and thoughts, thoughts about these types of things. You might agree with some things, you might not agree with other things. I don't really know. What I do know is that these things have worked for me to develop a collection that I'm really proud of. And so, like I said, I'll take you through my timeline and also take you through th through some sort of uh, some simple principles. Um, and uh, I've tried to figure out like what the best way to do that is. Um, I think what I'll do is I'll start with telling you what the principles are and then taking you through my timeline and relating those principles to my timeline. So here are the four main or the five main principles that I've written down that I think are, are things, general rules that have really helped me. Number one is simply this. Have a long-term perspective, not a short-term perspective. Number two, buy with your head and your heart. Every purchase should be should make sense both um, from an economic and an emotional perspective. Number three, don't sell cards that have the greatest upside. Just don't. Number four, don't bust wax. Somebody's got to do it. Don't let it be you. And number five, there are a lot of ways to make money in this hobby. Now, some of those things I think we're going to have some drama on. Some of you will disagree with some of these things. Again, these are things that have worked for me. I'm grateful for people, for example, that bust wax. But in my experience, busting wax is how I lose the gains that I make on flipping cards or um, on, on cards that have increased in value since I purchased them. And I don't want to easily give away those gains. And when I, do ha when I have created gains, I have wanted to use them on other big cards. That's why I've been able to create the collection that I've been able to create is because I've taken those gains and reinvested them. Um, and not reinvested them in the fun of opening packs, but in the fun of buying something that I really like and I've watched appreciate. So let's talk about some of those things today. And I again, I hope it's really interesting to you. Okay, let's talk. Let's talk about the timeline. Before the year two thousand eleven, I probably sold my collection eight to ten different times. I had to sell my collection throughout the years a number of times because I needed to pay for tuition or for some other major life expense, but usually it was tuition. And each time I needed that money, I didn't want to have to go into debt, and so I would sell my collection. So I wasn't a stranger 
to selling my cards going into the year 2011. But 2011 was important to me because that was the year that we bought our home. And when, it, when we bought our home, we wanted to be able to put down um, 20% on it so that we could avoid the prime mortgage insurance. And to, enable to, be, do, to, to be enabled to do that, we needed to um, sell my collection. Now, my collection that I had built in 2011 was really pretty cool. It was easily the best that it had ever been. I had an amazing Kevin Durant uh, rookie collection. I had his, a, a really nice limited logos of Durant uh, from his rookie year. I had a couple of other big exquisite Durant cards. Um, I had some one-of-ones from his rookie year. I had an SP Authentic RPA. I also had... Um, you know, I had just a lot of a lot of cards that are that are worth a lot more now than they were then. Um, I had the entire 1952 top style, uh, which was the which is a 2005 product, and that had that whole autograph set, which is like 180 card autograph set. I bought the whole thing on eBay. I remember I took all these cards and I listed them all on eBay one at a time, um, and I open auctioned everything, all the cards that I. All the cards that I, I I wanted to list at that point, and uh, I I listed it was over six hundred items. I listed them all, and in the process, I made enough money to to make that down payment on my house, and was glad that I was able to do that. But it was hard letting my collection go because I had built it up so big. It was emotionally difficult to do that. Well, at that time, I decided to keep just a couple of things uh, and decided not to sell them. And so I, I didn't even list them. And those, those things that I kept were mainly two different, two different things. I kept some Kevin Durant chronology rookie cards and some, um, some um, Ricky Rubio Topps Chrome rookie and Topps Chrome refractors. I also kept a few like personal things, the uh, personal collection, things like my 86, 87 Fleer set that I've owned forever. And, you know, a couple other sort of like sentimental things. But really what I kept was about $1,000 of inventory. The Kevin Durant Chronology Rookies, I think I had four of them left at that point. And my average buy-in on those was about $150. And I think I had like 15 Ricky Rubio Chrome Rookies. I, brought, I bought the Rubio Chrome Rookies not because I thought necessarily that he would be great, but because since he had fewer rookies than most of the players did, because he didn't come over to the NBA when he was drafted. I believed that someday there would be a supply and demand benefit for Rubio when he came over, and uh, I was right. Um, in 2011 and 2012, he his stuff when he when he kind of announced that he was coming back to, when he was coming to the NBA, his stuff exploded, and his Chrome stuff that I had just been buying whenever I could really took off, and I made a couple thousand bucks off of the Ricky Rubio Chromes. I also slowly sold out of those Durants and sold those for two to three times what I paid for them. But the reason that I tell you that is that at that point, I had made a decision after we had bought our house. And that decision was I wasn't ever going to dip into my personal funds again. I was going to start with that initial inventory, which I valued at about $1,000 and $1,000 in cash. So $2,000 total. And I decided right then and there that that would be my entire nest. That would be my entire nest egg, my entire amount that I had to 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 use on cards. And I said I will never go outside of this again. 
and I haven't um, all these years later. So the question becomes, how did I turn $1,000 of inventory and $1,000 of cash into the collection that I have today? And that's really the purpose of this, of this episode, and that's why those general principles that I, that I shared, those five general principles that I shared earlier, are so important to me even still today, because those principles are the things that um, have led me to, to have the collection that I have today that I'm really proud of. Um, and yes, my entire collection did come from that original $2,000. And the purpose of this episode is to talk about why and how. And uh, that's what I'm going to do now. So the first thing that I did, um, like I said, is I had those Rubio cards and the, the Durants. And I, I was looking to figure out how to spend that $1,000 in cash really wisely. And, uh, and one of the things that I did is I as I pointed out in number five here, I looked for the ways that I could make money in the hobby. There are always ways to make money in the hobby, guys. I would buy lots and sell the, lot, sell the lots individually. Um, I remember there was a lot that I found that had a Bill Bradley Topps uh, 1952 style autograph in it, and I was able to sell the lot for, or sell the Bradley for more than I bought the whole lot for. Um, that's one example of something that I did literally hundreds of times. And I would do it, and I would do it over and over and over again. I would look for items that had been poorly listed on eBay and would sell for less um, the way that they were listed than I could sell them for later. Um, again, I did that over and over again. Um, I looked for opportunities to help people move their collections. I would buy partial sets and sell, um, you know, sell the cards individually. I did so many different things. And in the process of doing this, I also looked for times where things were moving up very quickly. One of those, one of those sets at that time that were moving up very quickly was the totally certified uh, green set. People were comparing those cards to the original PMGs, which really in retrospect, in retrospect makes no sense now. But they were really, really hot for a time. And I made enough money on a few of those. I think I, I bought like four or five of them and I made a couple hundred bucks. And I thought, you know what, Adam, you've done so well buying and selling some of this stuff. It was right after I'd sold the Rubio cards. I thought, I want to go treat myself. And I went against one of my principles of not busting wax. I went to the card shop and I bought two boxes of Totally Certified. Amazingly, out of those two boxes, I pulled two greens. One was Andre Iguodala. I sold for like $100. But, well, but before I got the Andre Iguodala in the first box, I pulled a redemption for a Kobe Bryant green that was also autographed. One of the best cards in the whole product. I redeemed it and sold that card for $3,100. Guys, at that point, that was a huge sell. That sell and that original $3,100 combined with what I was able to sell the Rubios for and a few of the other things gave me my first little nest egg that I could then use um, to buy and to to create to create a better, cooler collection. And that was going back to again to like 2011. I had about five thousand bucks at that point that I could use however I wanted to, and I used that money over the course of the next couple of years in all sorts of ways. I didn't find anything during that time that was like a big scalable opportunity but I I you know 
bought collections and did all sorts of things. And over the next two years was able to take that, or over the next year and a half or so, I was able to take that $5,000 and turn it into about twelve dollars or $13,000. Um, and that is when Panini announced that they would do something that um, they'd never done before and, and release an ultra-high-end product called Flawless Basketball. When Flawless Basketball hit, the thing that I knew for sure was that every time a major um, upgrade of the highest overall product, highest end overall product had come out, every single time that had happened, the product had done very well. Going back to 1990 Skybox and 1993 Finest. And so I believed that that was likely to happen this time. And so I took a, I took a, a risk and I spent about $10,000 on four cases of 2012 Flawless Basketball. I um, saved enough money so that I could buy some singles. And what I de decided that I wanted to buy as far as singles goes is I bought the, the rookie set. I bought all 10 of the rookies that were numbered to 20. That was actually crazy. It was an incredibly difficult chase. Um, and some of those things I had to pay way more for than I planned on. Um, I had the 1 of 20 Anthony Davis. I had the Kyrie number to 20. I had the Lillard to 20. I had a couple of the other guys number 1 of 20. And the rookies were on fire. And they were selling so well. And then Beckett. Somebody from Beckett reached out to me. Suze, who, who I know some of you guys know. She reached out to me and she said, Hey, I want to do a story on this set that you put together. And I was like, that's awesome. I would love to do that. Um... And so I did this story. The story is in Beckett. The, the Beckett features Paul George on the front of it. It's a, an issue from probably late 2013 or early 2014. And um, you know that, that, that's something that you can still go look up. So but I did that article and I thought, man, these, these cards are moving up so quickly. This is crazy. And then a friend of mine who I had sold some cards to previously reached out. And he said, Adam. I have been looking everywhere to be able to buy these cards for the set, and you have five of them that I need, and I can't find them anywhere, and I'm going to make you an offer that you can't refuse. And I thought, uh, I'll be able to refuse it. And then he made the offer, and the offer was something like three times what I had paid for, paid for them. And at that point, that was an offer that I couldn't refuse. So I sold half of the cards. They were half of the lower-end rookies. Um, and then... At that point, I was like, man, well, I know I'm never going to be able to get those cards again. So do I? which of these five remaining cards do I want? And I made the decision that I would just keep the Davis and that I would move on from the other ones. And I made a bunch of money on those. Around that time, too, the flawless cases had reached a, a level that they were selling incredibly well. And I moved on from those. Um, and I made something like 60% on each of those cases in a four-month period. And so... After about maybe six months or so of, of owning those, of owning all that flawless stuff, I'd moved out of it and I had created a bunch of cash. Way more cash than I ever thought I would earn in the hobby. I had like $20,000. And I thought, I am literally like the king of the world. I cannot believe how much money um, I, I have on this stuff now. Maybe it was even more than, maybe it was even more than 20000 But again, it was never about 
taking that money and, and doing anything outside of the hobby with it. It was about trying to figure out what I could what I could do next with it. So I thought, man, I, I can do something really cool now. And I started looking for opportunities. A few months went by. And in 2014, um, or I guess after his second year in the league, right towards the end of his second year in the league, I started noticing some of the things that Anthony Davis was doing. And I noticed how he was prized compared to guys like Lillard and, uh, more importantly, Kyrie. And I just thought, I don't think people realize how good this Davis guy is. And so, and I, and I saw the prices and I saw the production and I, I kind of anticipated what he would do with a full year of that production um, that he'd had at the end of his second season under his belt. And I thought, I think this is a guy I need to load up on. And so I went big and I spent most of that cash that I had, had saved up on Anthony Davis. The Anthony Davis stuff blew up that next year in a crazy way. Again, to such a point, like I hadn't, just like with the flawless, I didn't anticipate that I would be moving on from Davis so quickly, but his stuff exploded so hot, so much that I kind of felt like I had to. Um, and so I slowly, over the course of a couple of months, moved off of a lot of it. I tried to keep a couple of the high-end cards, but I kept having people reach out and, and offer such high amounts for me. I mean, at that time, a crazy high amount would be like somebody offering $5,000 on a card that I had paid $1,000 for. And I had that happen several times. And so I sold the Anthony Davises. And now again, this, this cash amount was growing and I was looking for other ways to spend it. And I I started buying in like crazy on Giannis rookies. Um, and and I remember having the thought, this is crazy, guys, but I had three Giannis Immaculate Acetate rookies. And I thought, I, I remember having the thought, these are such nice cards, and I believe this guy has a chance to be really good. But I just, I, I can't tempt fate here. I've gotten so fortunate and so lucky twice in a row. I can't be right again. And so I sold the three Giannis rookies at a gain of about 2000 bucks. <laughs> and now each of those cards is worth, you know, just an incredible amount of money. But uh, I took I took that money from from you know Anthony Davises and the Giannis's, and I realized, man, I'm not a high roller, but I've really been able to create something here, and and I I want to move out of being more of a short term person and being more of a long term person. And so I started looking for things that I could that I could own for a long time. Um, one of the things that I bought into, um, remember how I said earlier that you that you want to make sure you're thinking with your mind and with your heart. At that time, there was a lot of stuff out there about trimming, um, and there were um, there were also things that I had read about autographs being altered. And what I kind of realized was that cards that came out in the pack that were autographs or that were patches had real risks. I also believed that rarity was the thing that mattered most. And so I thought, if I want something that's really rare and something that the autograph or the patch doesn't matter as much on, this sort of line of thinking was why I originally went into the Flawless Rookies. But now I was trying to think, okay, what, what can I do that's a little bit different? 
different than that. And that's when Eminence came out. And Eminence was also another one of these ultra high end products that had sort of that was way better or way higher end than the previous way highest end. And I looked at it and I was like, you know, people can't alter these because the cards are all encased. And, you know, the cards are ultra high end. I think this is the next thing that's going to be huge. So I bought a ton of eminent stuff. It made sense with both my head and with my heart. I love the product and logically it made a lot of sense to me. Well, what's interesting is since that time, Eminence, unlike the other things that I bought into, hasn't had that same level of like people ever, you know, jumping in on it. But what's great about it is this, and this goes along with the advice that I've given to, to, to literally hundreds of people. If you buy something that you really like, even in the end, if it's not worth something, at least you really like it. And so although my eminent stuff hasn't taken off the way that some of the other things that I've purchased have, my eminent stuff is something that I love. Like I've continued to buy it as the years have gone by. I still really like it. And I, that's why I keep buying it. And so even though in the end, I don't know if, if, if it will ever be worth what I believed that it would be, I still like it. Um, and so that's why that's one reason why you buy things with your head and your heart because even if you find out that either your head or your head, heart were wrong, um, at least the other part will be right. And so if you buy something that you then realize you don't like as much later, at least if your head was right, um, you know, you'll have made money. And if you buy something where your head was right and your or your your heart was right and your head was wrong, then at least you'll really like it, right? And I don't know where eminence will, will lie in the end on some of those things because it has, all of it has appreciated. Everything has appreciated the last few years. And my eminence stuff is certainly worth way more than I paid for it. But but if I could go back in time and, and, do, and do things just, you know, in terms of trying to make money, I would have bought stuff that wasn't rare. I would have bought, you know, base rookie cards that have, you know, 10X and 20X. But again, that was never compelling to me. The LeBron James Topps Chrome Rookie was never an interesting card to me. It was never a compelling card. Um, neither was the Steph Curry Topps Rookie. I like never, I never understood that. It never did anything for me. Whereas, you know, by finding an Eminence one of one autographed logo or autographed patch card of, of a player that I really liked, like that did, that was compelling to me. And even though the the LeBron Chrome Rookie might be worth more to me, it just it will never make. It will never make me happy the same way that, that you know, finding one of those really rare autograph patch cards does. Um, so, you know, I not only did I buy the Eminence during those years, but really between 2014 and 2017, like I said, I made a purposeful decision to buy cards that I wanted to hold longer term. And as I found some of these cards and um, was able to acquire them, I found that there was a great deal of interest for them. And I made a very hardline decision that I'm that was probably the best decision that I made out of all of them along the way. Not probably, it was the best decision. And that was the decision to stop selling cards that were viewed more as like museum piece type cards. Um, my collection is, um, has some high end stuff towards the top, but it's also really, it's also pretty deep. 
Um, you know, I've got a lot of a lot of nicer cards um, for you know not not trying to sound boastful, but I have a, but I don't just have a few higher end cards. I've got I've got quite a few, and the reason that I have as many as I have is that I every time I've gotten one, I've really made it very difficult to let that thing go. And you might say, well, but then how did you you know how do you how do you continue to pay for your for your cards if you're not going into your personal money? you know, and you're only spending card money, how do you get that money? Well, that's why it's so important along the way to continue to do all those, all those same things, you know, buying the collections and selling, you know, selling, you know, selling things off and, and grading and selling and just looking for opportunities to make $50 here and a hundred dollars there. And then, you know, and then, taking the the big cards that you have and putting them and putting this them to the side and whenever you have the chance to pick them up picking them up that that's you know kind of kind of led me to where where i am so also during those 2014 to 2017 years that's when i found um you know that's when i was able to find some of the key jordan cards that i that i found the key inserts you know the, the pmg championship to 50 the gold fusion to 40 the Jambalaya, the Slam Bams, the Playmakers Theater. Um, it's when I was able to find some of the rare exquisite stuff that I have. I was able to trade, I traded a card that I, I wish I wouldn't have traded, a really key Eminence Kobe Bryant card. And the, the return that I got for it was amazing. Um, but the, the best part of the return was that I got um, a card that I've kept, which was the Kobe Bryant 2004 limited logo, which is just an amazing card. It's one of my, it's definitely one of my best cards. Um, I, you know, I, I did as much of that as I could between 2014 and 20 and, and, and now. And, uh, and that decision to not sell guys, not sell your best stuff. It was the best decision that I ever made. It's so easy sometimes when you buy something for a thousand and then somebody comes along and offers you twelve hundred or fifteen hundred to make that two hundred to five hundred dollars. But I'm telling you right now, the best decision that I ever made was when, you know, I had some I had some cards, some Jordan cards that I paid five thousand dollars for. But I had people come along and say, Hey, I'll give you seven or I'll give you eight thousand. And then a couple years later it was I'll give you sixteen, I'll give you seventeen thousand. Being able to say no in those moments was the best thing that I ever did. And, uh, and, and, and I mean that, like it really, like the, the value that's been created in my collection is almost all been created, not almost all, it's, it's largely been created by, by watching the assets grow in value, by watching the cards increase in value. Um, and that happens because of the way that the market has grown. So I didn't have to be smart. I just had to be early, right? If you could go back in time 10 years, you could make a lot of really good decisions, right? Not just because you'd be smart, but because of the way that the market has grown. And uh, and, and that's really what happened on that, that Jordan stuff. It really takes me to the last stage, which is 2020. Um, 2020 for me has been the year of... of taking the less essential cards in my collection that I still considered important and and um, moving them for key cards when the key cards became available. Um, and to me that this year, this has been the year of Kobe 
for for me. It's been the year where I take all of my, you know, I, I saw with with Kobe, you know, I've talked I've talked at length about this. I I realized um, you know, shortly after his death, in the weeks after his death, how important Kobe was to us as collectors, and how important he was going to become. You know, I, I I've mentioned more than once how there was this time of mourning, and how I recognized that we were all mourning in a way that was really different and unusual. And I realized the place that Kobe had, and I thought, you know, the place that he had in our hearts. Um, and, our, and in our minds, and I thought, if I don't do this now, I will always regret it. And so I did everything I could to get all of the key Kobe cards that I could. Also during that time, I had the chance to acquire the Steph Gold Prism card. And I had to move stuff for that. So I had to liquidate a fair portion of my collection over the course of, you know, about three or four months to buy all of these key cards. But in every case, it was about liquidating excuse me, liquidating to be able to go get the really big, really cool cards. Um, and so, you know, after I did that, that really leads us to where we are today. Um, and, and, you know, like I say, that's a, that's a long process. That was a, that was, so my collection is really the result of 30 years of collecting, but really where it is today is mostly as a result of the last nine years. We started with $1,000 in cash and $1,000 in inventory and just taking that and you can imagine, you know, my hands are right now, like you can't see obviously because it's a podcast, but my hands are like in a little ball. You take that and you, 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 you buy and you sell and then, and then with that cash that you have, you then buy and then you sell again. And every time you're buying and selling, it's growing and this, this sort of value or the equity that you have in in like your your collection, a- equity is a word that I don't like how some people use, um, but but it is the right word here. Um, the value that you have every time you are then able to sell for an increased amount is growing, and that enables you to do more. You're given more purchasing power, and at some point your purchasing power. Like this is the case for me, my you know I own I own cards that are worth significantly more than my car is, and I know that I'm not alone in this. I know a lot of us are like this. The reason that that I've been able to do that is because I've been able to gain the purchasing power that comes with having the collection value grow, and it grows because um, because I'm always taking and trying to add to it. Um, every time you take a $50 purchase and you turn it into a hundred bucks, um, you can do something with that. Every time you buy something that, that, that then increases in value, you know, you can, you can add that to sort of the value of your collection. There's two ways to make money in this hobby, right? There's buying something that you can immediately sell for more, and then there's buying something that you can, um, you know, that you can sell for more down the road. And I, I've been pretty split on that. I've bought things for market value that have increased in value. And I bought things for less than they were worth because of how they were listed or because of a, a, a deal that I was able to make or because I had something else that somebody wanted. 
But in every case, the goal was always to move up. I said this to some friends at the National a couple years ago, and it's still true today. Everyone is looking to move up in our hobby. Very few people come along and say, I would like to trade down. Everybody wants to get the very best of something. They want to turn their card into something better. Um, it doesn't mean you always want to trade your cards because there's plenty of cards that you will never trade. Um, there's plenty of cards that I will never trade. Um, but I'm always trying to, to, to improve my collection. And when you do get an amazing deal on something that you view as a long-term, you know, a long-term card, don't sell it. So again, the five principles. Think long-term. Be willing to keep something in your collection for years. Be willing to hold something for a really long time. Number two, buy with your head and your heart. If something doesn't make sense with both your head and your heart, don't do it. If you think you're just going to make money on it, but it's not going to do anything for you emotionally, don't do it. If you think it's going to do something for you emotionally, but it's not going to do something for you, you know, financially, sometimes that's okay because that just makes you just a, you know, just a collector. There's things that we all have in our collections that are just collector pieces. I've got a lot of stuff like Utah Jazz stuff that I didn't ever anticipate would go up in value, but I wanted to own it. So there's, there are times where that happens, but if you're buying something that is specifically for the purpose of going up, it's better when it's both with your mind and with your heart. Some of you will say, ah, oh, it just needs to be with my mind. That's fine. It's just not intellectually interesting to me. Um, Number three, do not sell the cards that have the most upside. If you get a card, you buy it for $1,000 and you believe it has a $10,000 potential, but then you see it go up to $1,200, I'm telling you right now, if you sell it $1,200 and then it goes down, yeah, you'll feel great. But if you sell it $1,200 and then it goes to that $10,000, there's nothing that hurts worse in the hobby than that. When you know you had something and you know you were right about it and you know you let it go for a $200 gain, that is a gut punch and we've all been there. Um, number four, don't bust wax. I know I broke my own rule when I bought those two boxes of Totally Certified and it worked out for me, but I can promise you I've seen far, far more times where people lose their gains because they bust wax. And number five, there's a lot of ways to make money in the hobby. Look around. Become really acquainted with everything. You know, understand everything. Become a real knowledgeable person. Get to know people. You know, build relationships. Make other people's lives easier. As you do these things, you can create value. And you can, you know, make $5 here, $10 there, $100 here, $50 there. And all of a sudden, you have more purchasing power. And when you have more this is the thing that i just i can't tell you how true this is guys when you have assets to spend the doors open for you when you when people then know who you are you get opportunities to buy things um i know that there are times that people sell things to me not because they know they're getting the most from me but because they know they can trust me and they know that um, they know who I am and they know that I'm a serious buyer. Um, being able to make people's lives easy when you're buying from them is really important. All right.
you guys, I hope that you've enjoyed these, these thoughts today. That's how I built my collection. That's how it became what it is today. I am super proud of it. If you want to take a look at my collection, it is on my Instagram at the real 27 guy. And again, if you are interested in receiving uh, issues of basketball card fanatic, um, basketball card fanatic this this issue or this episode that i've just come out with is going to feel fairly financial right i just told you about how i built my collection but i talked about dollars and cents the whole way that's not how basketball card fanatic is basketball card fanatic is geared towards the you know the ultimate collectors the people who really want to just think about basketball cards um you know it's uh uh, it's, it's been a wonderful journey so far in, um, you know, in, in making those first couple of issues, but I'm super excited for, for the ones that are going to come after and uh, it, watching the growth of the magazine has been, been awesome. And I think it will continue to be awesome. I hope you'll come along for the ride. Um, and, and guys, thank you for the support. You're all awesome. And, uh, until next time, happy collecting.
Thank you.